How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and we are doing our 100th episode celebration. We are continuing that here. Last time, we did all the all of our favorite matches from before the 1980s, and this week, we are going to be touching on our favorite matches of the 1980s. And Leonard and I both grew up in the 1980s, so this is where the picks start to get fun for us and uh leonard i didn't mention this to you before we got on the air yeah. but i'm gonna do it now one of your honorable mentions i'm kind of kind of take away and just mention at the top of this um because if we don't give it a special highlight i'm sure people will comment on it and that okay. is savage versus steamboat at wrestlemania 3 mm -hmm. it was neither one of our favorite picks but it's obviously a match that people have talked about all the time as a classic rightfully so and you know, people might be saying, oh, it's why isn't it a favorite? It's just not one of the favorites that we picked, um, but it certainly deserves its place as one of the best matches of the decade. Um, really terrific all around. And uh, just I wanted to give it that special highlight at the top here, um, just so people don't think we underrated it, uh, because this is more of like a our favorites. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of a blend of ones that I think people – should be aware of and those that that we find our favorites myself and yes i did have that on my honorable mention list just because i thought that that should be mentioned and my honorable mention right. are those that i i think that we should have out there for example the others on my list i'll, I'll just go through now um last week we talked about the bruno san martino versus larry zabisco cage match from showdown shea in 1980 uh you know that should be mentioned properly here since we talked about it last week um I also have Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine in a dog collar match from Starcade 83. Brutal. If you have not seen that, that is bloody and brutal and awesome. Classic. Classic. Um, Sergeant Slaughter versus Iron Sheik in a boot camp match from 1984. And then also Ric Flair versus Sting from Clash of the Champions uh, 1 in 1988. If you want to talk how do you make a brand new star out of nothing, that's how you do it. Sting had just come over from the UWF and Flair made him an overnight sensation. Absolutely. And that's one thing that Flair was always very good at. And uh, yeah, I mean, the matches on your, on your honorable mentions list there are, are terrific. Uh, you know, the Zabisco San Martino feud was probably his most notable feud. And uh, yeah, that one's definitely worth checking out the, 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 the shows that they did at Shea, like it always feels like we're watching the match from like 500 yards away. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, cause the hard camera was like up in the stands. It's not right. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously things have changed since then, but yeah, yeah. No, very, very good picks. Um, my honorable mentions. Um, the first one I'm going to mention is probably my under the radar pick and it requires a little bit of explanation. So it was Sergeant Slaughter and Don Kernodal versus Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood in a steel cage match. Uh, for the tag titles. And so I picked this match because back when it, this footage was released, I had recently discovered this, the website High Spots. And this was before YouTube had like all the content that it does now. And they had unearthed all the footage of this feud. And it was a pretty significant feud uh, for tag teams. And they put this match on there, which had previously been thought lost, I guess. And, uh, I just thought it was really terrific. It was cool. I have the uh, the DVD here that that High Spots released, and it has the entire feud on there. Their uh, match, uh, the first match, 
that resulted in the referees getting assaulted and then the uh, and, you know promos and this contract signing and then finally this blow off which um, was terrific and uh, yeah I mean gosh I mean Kernodal and Slaughter just bleed gushers here and uh, yeah it's it's well worth checking out um, if you if you have the chance um, the other another match on my honorable mentions Ric Flair versus Terry Funk Clash of the Champions nine the I Quit match. I love this feud. Uh, it might, it might, it's right up there with his steamboat feud for me, specifically because of the way it started with Terry Funk interviewing him after the steamboat feud and then attacking him and the pile driver into the table was, it was just great. And this match was really, really terrific. Uh, you know, just Terry Funk is awesome. And so is Ric Flair. So uh, I have you that on your list. It was going to be on my honorable mention list. That is another feud match that I absolutely love. And it should be mentioned that table spot. You didn't see that back then. And that table did not break. Exactly. Yes. And um, yeah, I highly recommend checking that one out. Uh, another match that I just added today, Leonard, uh, because I thought it needed mentioning uh, was Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Henning, AWA on December 31st, 1986. This match goes to a draw, but if you wanted to see just how talented Kurt Henning was, this is a great match to go watch. He is much more than just the Mr. Perfect persona, and uh, Nick Bockwinkle certainly deserves being mentioned at some point during these episodes uh, because he had a lot of terrific matches. That was another one that, that I had looked at that was on some lists, and I just I just didn't go with it. But I think giving at least some dap to the AWA, and especially those two guys, is certainly warranted. All right. So that means we need to get into our main picks. Well, before we do that, one of the other mentions uh, I was going to have on the top of the, at the top of this show uh, with the Steamboat Savage match from WrestleMania 3 is the other match from WrestleMania 3 that people talk about a lot, which is Andre and Hogan. Is it a technical classic? No, but it deserves to be mentioned here because of its place in history and because of what it meant to the wrestling business. So is it a match that, you know, is necessarily good on a star rating scale? Of course not, but it eclipses a star rating scale, in my opinion, simply for how impactful it was. And I think by the same argument, you should also mention uh, Hogan and Mr. T versus Roddy Piper. And right. Paul Wilmore from their first WrestleMania again, the historical perspective on that. Absolutely, I agree. So, Leonard, why don't you jump into your first match? Okay, so going chronologically like we've done before, uh, my first match would be the U.S. title I Quit Steel Cage match from Starcade 85, The Gathering from November 28th of 1985. Magnum TA versus Telly Blanchard with Baby Doll. This comes in uh, just a bit under 15 minutes. Uh, for years in wrestling, there was just a few go to matches in the few steel cage matches and I quit matches were two big ones uh you know we had a couple steel cage matches last week and here we have them combined into an amazing idea now a lot of the times I would call this like a hat on a hat type situation but I think they complement each other very well they work both gimmicks together and blend them very well together here uh this is also a nice combination of a brawl with a wrestling match with the two going at it and what we could we would call maybe a pretty standard match to start, but very brawling and very aggressive. They use the cage, but not too much. I like how even though it's an I quit match, it's not about submission holds. It's about just destroying the other guy till he can't go on. Both guys bleed great. I love how they use the microphone as a weapon 
this may be the first time I've kind of seen that in an I quit match. And of course that would be done later on uh, in other I quit matches. Then just when it slows down uh, like a little bit, a wooden chair gets thrown in the ring and it breaks and Blanchers uses a piece of this chair as a stake and tries to gouge, gouge Magnum's eyes out. Again, something you had not seen before and I don't think we've ever seen really since. And, and then Magnum gets it and basically tries to give Telly a lobotomy with it. And that's how you get a submission without a submission hold. Uh, this is just super intense, violent, bloody, almost uncomfortable to watch at times. Uh, but just a, an amazing way to blow off uh, a blood feud between these two guys. And like I said, I think often you see this all the time today where they take several different gimmicks and kind of slap them together to try to be more than it is. And this is probably one of the few times where you have multiple gimmicks put together and it works. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, again, I mentioned it on our last show, the DVD set that's behind me here, um, the bloodbath dvd said i was so excited when i got that because there were so many matches on there that i had not seen and uh this is one i'll never forget watching for the first time uh the way this ends to me is so intense um i, I don't know that you'll ever see anything like that again i mean like when that wooden chair comes in the ring in the ring and tully just breaks it and then wants to use a piece of it as a weapon like i mean that they're taking it to another level and for those who don't know much about Magnum TA's in-ring work, this is the best example um, you can watch of what he was going to offer both in-ring and as a character and why he was poised to become a huge star. So, yeah, this match is, is great. I, I would say this is still like the pinnacle of I Quit matches. Uh, and uh, And rightfully so so my first match if we're going in chronological order is dynamite kid versus tiger mask from april 21st 1983 and i chose this match not just to illustrate a match from japan because there are other good ones but this match in particular is what opened the door for me for wrestling in japan I had heard stories about how good uh, some of the Dynamite Kid matches were there. And I tracked down a VHS, which you can see <laughs> behind me. And uh, I mean, his work over there is just phenomenal. And his feud with Tiger Mask to me is one of the great unsung feuds in wrestling history. This was the culmination of a ton of matches that they were having together. And just at the time, you got to remember, this was 83. So some of the stuff you see in this match, you might watch it now and you'd be like, oh, well, you know, I could see that every week. But at the time, people weren't doing, you know, tope suicidas and some of the stretch submission holds that these guys were doing. And what also sets this apart is the stop and starts of this match and I, Leonard, I did send this to you. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. Yes, I did. I did. I was unfamiliar with this match. I'm very deficient when it comes to Japanese wrestling. Right. And I'm going to be honest. I think it really falls apart at the end, but I felt the first half of it was, was great. 
And and one comment I wrote was the same thing you just said, that a lot of people might find this to be a pretty standard match today, but you have to remember this is 1983. It's very fast paced. I like the mix of the leg lock submission and mad stuff with the really big high spots kind of thrown in. Stuff outside the ring is really exciting. But something gets lost in translation to me because I don't know what happened after the ring out count and the argument of the restart and it does and it doesn't and it doesn't it doesn't and like i just couldn't figure out what happened in like the last 10 minutes or so yeah and I, this is obviously but i did like the escalation of it being kind of a friendly bout to start with and then it gets really intense so i kind of like the build but yeah the ending kind of lost me yeah because the, so they initially they go over the railing into the audience um at one point and the bell clearly rings and you see Dynamite Kid constantly trying to get it to be restarted because there's different rules in Japan. And uh, that's what sets this match apart. This was, I think this is like one of the third five-star ratings that the Wrestling Observer gave, actually. And uh, it's just, there's very other, very few other matches like it. Like, you always remember a match that, like, when it starts and stops. Another good one, um, you know, was The Rock versus Benoit. I remember everybody thought Benoit had won the title. Uh, I forget what year it was, and then it restarted and the match continued. But uh, this one is certainly sets apart because, you know, they restart the match multiple times. And at one point, Dynamite Kid gets a bo broken bottle to try and threaten to make sure that the match restarts. Um, even though a lot of the moves you'll see here are moves that are more widely known today, the way they are done and the fluidity and the chemistry is second to none because these guys work so well together. They knew each other so well. And Dynamite Kid was so precise and focused in the ring. And that's what I noticed when I watched his matches back. Um, so I definitely recommend checking this out if you've, if you've never heard of it or never seen it. So Leonard, why don't you go to your next match? So my next one, I think, is probably a hidden gem, one that most people probably wouldn't think of. I, I told you last week uh, off air that I wanted to have a tag match. And I was probably thinking, oh, Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express. But when I went looking, there was a lot out there. And I think maybe because a lot of that were from promotions that, that maybe the TV wasn't available or they were doing house show circuits, et cetera. But one I found on a couple lists and I went, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And it's different is a U.S. tag team title match from the first Clash of the Champions, March 27th, 1988. It's the Fantastics of Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers versus the Midnight Express of Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton with Jim Cornette. And Jim Cornette has talked about this match on his podcast, and he's done a, a, a rewatch of it on the podcast. And supposedly they were promised much more time than what they got, and they got cut to about 10 minutes. So they threw out the original plan and went with a fast-paced, brawling affair that really took advantage of the heat between these two teams. And it's probably the best... 10 minute match or under that you'll ever ever see it's technically not a tornado tag but everyone's going at it at once inside the ring and outside chairs tables choking on the guardrail rogers has a hell of a shot into a table at one point that car that corny holds up from the floor and he gets slammed into it and it just it's so loud uh and then rogers gets body slammed on on a table folded on the floor which you don't see Right. Uh, then he takes a bulldog on the table. Uh, the finish is super hot with Fulton not being able to stand anymore, and he throws referee, re referee Randy Anderson over the top rope so he can help Rogers. Now, a second referee counts a pinfall for Fantastics, but it gets reversed because he 
laid his hands on, on, on Randy Anderson. And then Fulton gets lashed with Cornette's leather belt afterward. So this is just, you know, pretty much the antithesis of the Southern tag style that was popular at the time. Although you do get some of that when it eventually settles down a little bit in the middle. Um, as I said, I think this is a real hidden gem and I wanted to include it because of how different it was for the time period. And probably Cornette would have an aneurysm if you told him that this is probably a harbinger of the type of tag matches that ECW would do in about seven to 10 years and became more popular this type of very brawling, crazy, chaotic style using the weapons. Yeah, you know, the, a hidden gem is a good way to describe this match. And uh, it, it you could tell that they were cut short on time because, I mean, this match just starts fast and furious and never lets up. Um, the crowd is so hot for everything that's going on here. And I did note um, the fact that they seem to use a lot of the, like when they were using the table, as you mentioned, it was just on the floor. Um, they were just kind of going with the flow. They were keeping it intense. They weren't like one of the things I noticed about this match that made me disappointed in some of the matches today, regardless of the company is that like, even if, like whether you're WWE or AEW, everything is a spot that needs to be set up. Everything needs to have time to like, okay, we got to get to here and go to there and this match just kind of goes with it. It's like, oh, the table's on the floor. Well, that's where you're being slammed. Like, they just have to go, and uh, that's what they do. And it's a really intense, really good tag match as a result. The one note that I made, and I, if I would have, you know, another day I might not have even noticed this, was the ending, which uh, had Bobby Eaton looked like he midway through almost forgot what was supposed to happen because probably this was cut short, as you say. Like, he looked like he was going to get up, uh, at one point, but then he realized he needed to lay back down for the splash. I forget who it was that splashed him off the top rope, but mm-hmm. uh, but that was the like. But they, I mean, it was a really good fast-paced match for for what it was, and uh, you know, it's good that the Fantastics are being mentioned on any of these episodes, Leonard. Right. Well, you know, the Fantastics have gotten name dropped, name dropped in the past from us because. Of course, Bobby Fulton is local, as as we mentioned, and I probably said that Leonard mentioning Bobby Fulton should be a drinking game uh, for for our podcasts. Uh, But yeah, you know, I was surprised too. Like I said, I wanted the tag match. I figured it would be a classic thing between the Midnights and the Rock and Roll, or maybe something with the Freebirds. But I came upon this and I rewatched it, and I went, "This is what I'm going with." You know, like I said, it's not the example of the classic tag match that a lot of people would probably want on a list like this uh but um again I, I think it was so very innovative for the time period and it's one that that i enjoy and i think especially because it's about 10 minutes you could watch this anytime if you were just like hey i just want to watch a really fun match Boom. yeah i mean the well, you know what i mean i recommend the whole clash of the champions yeah the first clash is, is is wonderful because they were really trying to do something different and special to, to rival what, what, what WWE was, was doing at the time. Right. And, uh, you know, I would like also to mention, um, not that I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast, but the fact that he just waylays the referee multiple times at the end of this match. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, he, I mean, he really like uses that racket, uh, as much as he can. So yeah, definitely check that one out as well. All right. My next match is from the Great American Bash 1987. And I believe this, like, so the Great American Bash was like a series event 
of events held throughout the summer uh, produced by NWA's Jim Crockett Promotions. And uh, this one was held July 4th, 1987 in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. And it is the first War Games match, which had the Road Warriors, Nikita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes, and Paul Ellering against the Four Horsemen of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Tully Blanchard, and J.J. Dillon. I selected this match not just because it's the first, but because it's a, just a classic. I mean, I, I could go over the different spots in it, but, you know, it, it's a long match, but it's one of those entertaining long matches, and it's the reason that the concept which was conceived by Dusty Rhodes would last as long as it did and is now being brought back for Survivor Series, which is very exciting. I knew Triple H was going to do that right out of the gate because he's been fighting for that for a long time. Finally was able to get it into NXT and now is able to get it on the main events, which I, I think is terrific and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but this this original War Games match is... Uh, is a classic and still the one to beat the four horsemen were so hot at the time and the feud between flair and dusty was you know legendary obviously um you had the road warriors who you know would get great reactions wherever they went and uh, this match is just such a lot of fun to watch it's brutal it's bloody and it's everything you could want in wrestling in my opinion. So, Leonard, what do you think of this one? Well, you're right. I mean, this is one of the greatest, most creative match types ever in wrestling history. Uh, anytime I've done the fantasy booking feds, which I've mentioned in the past, there isn't a round that goes by in the competitive voting ones I've done where you don't get a war games. Right. And a lot of what they did in this one, this first one, became standard for every war games that came after. How the heels won the coin toss, how the heel face dynamic worked throughout the match use of the cage, just the fact that it becomes this bloody gang war type of brawl, much like the I quit cage match I talked about. It's not about getting submission wins, it's about just beating someone into submission. Right. And there's so many great storytelling possibilities, and this was a brilliant way to blow off just everything that was going on at the top of the card at that time between the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes and his allies, um, and again, the, the, the flair dusty feud that that had been going on you know throughout most of the 80s at this point and uh of course and of course as you mentioned because there were different you know war games uh done you know, throughout the great american bash there are some variations on on the theme here right. uh, the one that i believe we're talking about is the first one that they did and of course they would do war games in years after and 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 um Spoiler: I there might be one on my '90s list. I'm considering options, but but there are some great other war games that would come after this. No, that's um, that's good to know. And uh, I just want to add about the Great American Bash um, the, in 1987. Apparently, and I've never seen. I don't. I don't know if this was recorded or not. But at one of the Great American Bashes, the main event was Dusty Rhodes against Tully Blanchard in a lights out barbed wire ladder match, which wow sounds amazing to me. So I, I will try to see if that actually exists. But uh, Leonard, on to your next pick. Okay, so this this would be my, my last one. So and and not only does it come at the end chronologically, but this has been my all time favorite match, no question forever. Uh, it's the NWA World Heavyweight Title match. Uh, from Clash of the Champions 6, Raging Cajun, 
on April 2nd of 1989, Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's uh, 55 minutes, 32 seconds, just a bit under an hour. And I told Chad this story off the air last week uh, about how this has always been my favorite match. And I have vivid memories of watching this live at 10 years old. My aunt was watching me at her house. Uh, they had a second television and a playroom. And I sat on the floor cross-legged watching it. My mom came to pick me up. And I asked if I could stay and finish watching the match. I think there was like 20 minutes or so left. And she said, sure, why not? She went and talked to my aunt. And I was just, you know, completely enraptured by this match. And for a 10-year-old kid to be enraptured by something that was a very long, very technically based match really speaks to what this is. And it's very, I could have my whole list just be the Flair Steamboat Trilogy from 1989. I, I would have if I were you. Yeah, I, I joked last week, I could have gave you a list of just 10 Ric Flair matches from 1989. Sure. Uh, that, 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 that can easily be a list, uh, NWA 1989 favorite year of a favorite company ever. Everything they were doing was really great during this time period. So <clears throat> anyway, this was the blow off to the steamboat versus flare three match series. And the other two matches could have easily been on my list as well. This match just plays so well off of elements from the previous two matches and the character dynamics and chemistry. It's hard to get two guys who just work so well together than Flair and Steamboat. If you wanted to make a list of just two guys who work the best together, Flair Steamboat. Very, very hard to argue against that. And this was at a point where you didn't see a lot of one-hour matches anymore, especially on live television. You know, we had a 60-minute Broadway on your list last last time. And that was something Flair always talked about doing 60-minute Broadways. But those were house shows. You didn't see these on television. Uh, but this definitely doesn't feel overly long. It's very nicely paced. It has great mass re wrestling, good use of high spots that get sprinkled in. Um, and what are often get called as rest spots, and we talked about this last week too, is they're used to great advantage because of the selling, because of the movement, because they don't just sit there in the holes. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on, but just watch it. It's an easy five stars uh, in the explanation. I would really, unless someone was purposely trying to be nitpicky and a jerk about it, it's very hard to find much fault uh, with this match or really any of the three that they had during this period. No, I agree. And this trilogy is still talked about to this day for a reason. These matches, all three of them are classics. And uh, yeah, this was such a great feud. And these matches are so wonderful to watch uh, at any point really it's not like you have to be in the mood for it like it like it's a hardcore type match or anything like that um this is just wrestling at its finest and rick flair had so many great matches in the 80s and his feud with steamboat is right at the top and yeah if it, if i mean if this if i put this on my list i i specifically didn't select this because i knew leonard was going to um i certainly would have roped them all into into one um because it's tough to think of them as anything but just the trilogy <laughs> right it's, it's one one a one b but again my special connection with this absolutely really, really has me putting it at, at number one and i don't because the other two were on pay-per-view i don't think i saw those until much later so you know god god bless the clash of the champions series absolutely well my the last match i'm going to be talking about uh, as we are going in chronological order is from wrestlemania 5 april 2nd 1989 for the WWF Championship, Hulk Hogan 
versus the then champion macho man randy savage so i am the memories of the feud that hogan had with warrior probably more you know uh in my clearer in my head than this one but this is the hogan feud that i like the most um because his chemistry with savage was so spectacular and this feud was so well laid out over a long period of time from wrestlemania 4 when savage won the big tournament to wrestlemania 5 it was a year-long storyline and it was so beautifully told uh the subtleties and how they were able to escalate things and this match while not on the level of a steamboat flare from a technical wrestling standpoint um from a entertainment standpoint and from uh the like stance of both of these guys bringing out the best in each other um this match to me is outstanding and you hogan is at his best here savage is at his best here i would argue that both guys are really at their peak here um the inclusion of miss elizabeth who you know i grew up just worshiping <laughs> um i mean is so key to this entire storyline and uh yeah i just i really love this match i i could watch it at any point and uh you know these two would have great matches even when macho man became the macho king um anytime these two work together you knew it was going to be something special so yeah wrestlemania 5 leonard yeah i mean we talked about this one before when we did i can't remember if it was our favorite wrestlemanias or underrated wrestlemanias but it was a wrestlemania series series that we did that we talked about this and you could probably i think pretty much put any of the hogan wrestlemania main events on a list like this you know we mentioned wrestlemania 3 earlier i mentioned the first wrestlemania even to a degree i think hogan versus bundy wrestlemania 2 in the steel cage i think that's underrated as far as it being a spectacle kind kind of thing uh but but anyway none were as we said this earlier none were great technical classics but all had great emotion great storytelling great character work and this is the finale of a story that started the year before when savage won the title at wrestlemania 4 in the tournament and i know their relationship ran hot and cold over the years but this was a time when they were on the same page and their chemistry really shows and as i just said about flair steamboat i think hogan savage is another pair that you could put up there that just you know Got when the chemistry was on, the chemistry was on, and 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 could put on just very exciting matches. So I think this is definitely a great example of a match that you know is not a technical classic, but for some reason you will watch it be enthralled and be entertained, and it's just very well put together. And that's one. And if we go back, we didn't talk about this when we mentioned WrestleMania three, Savage versus Steamboat. But one thing that Savage was great at. And some people did not like this about him was the fact he was very meticulous in planning matches out ahead of time. Right. And yeah, I have out. Yep. Yeah. And I've met uh, George the Animal Steel, and I talked to George the Animal Steel. I think we've talked about this before. He was at Monster Bash one year. I interviewed him on stage. I had dinner with him and his wife, and we talked about this match. And he hated it. He absolutely hated this match because he was traveling with them at the time. He was the ringside of WrestleMania three. 
Uh, I should say WrestleMania 3, not WrestleMania 5. But WrestleMania 3, he was ringside for that. He traveled with them at the time. And he just got tired of them talking for months and months on end. Every little teeny <laughs> tiny spot, every, you know, every headlock and every, okay, if you take two steps this way, I'll take one step that way. And and he was just like, get in the ring and do it. Just get in the ring and wrestle, dudes. Right. And, and so it was very interesting to hear it from his, his perspective uh, of that. But there is, I think, something to be said about the meticulous nature and that was probably again a harbinger type of thing because i think now today more people plan stuff out yep. maybe that's good maybe that's bad uh but but certainly an improvisational nature that calling it in the ring um you know that was something that i think savage could do but i think he was much more comfortable about playing that out and when you look at something like this and when you look at maybe i think a match that you're going to pick for next time I think that play that plays into it. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, everybody does things differently, right? And you know, there's other people that plan stuff out like Savage, you know, used to do, and uh, that's just the way he was, and he was really good at it. That's what, like you said, it's what made him comfortable. And uh, you know, just the way that the fans at the time would be so invested in this storyline in particular, and Hogan by extension, uh, because he was the ultimate hero um is really like one of the big factors of why i put this match here because you know you're just so invested in what's going on and i also chose this particular hogan match because you know going forward when we get to the 90s and onward i really don't know if hogan will make another appearance there's one other match that i think i could make an argument for in a different episode but yes uh, yes there is one i'm thinking of that we're probably thinking the same one Right. And so we'll, we'll see. But, you know, if I was going to highlight one Hogan match in particular, this was the one that I wanted to select, even though, which is not going to be on my list, but even though, like, the Hogan warrior situation was just, God, like, every every kid on the schoolyard was talking about that one and who they thought would win. Um, you know, such vivid memories of, of that particular match as well. But uh, anyway, let us know what you think of our picks. There's so many great matches from the 80s. Um, in researching this, uh, you know, I watched a couple matches that I didn't mention here just because you go down that rabbit hole. And when I research stuff like this, I like to explore matches that I've not seen. Um, like there was one uh, Jumbo Saruta, who I mentioned in our last episode, uh, faced uh, what's his, his last name is Tenru for it was for the Triple Crown title in uh, I believe it was all Japan. And uh, that match is, is terrific as well. Tenru. If you, you might remember Leonard, he made an appearance in a tag team match in WrestleMania 7. That was one of the Japanese wrestlers. Yeah. Yes. Demolition. Um, but yeah, there's so many great matches from the 80s out there um, because the styles would start to change, right? You would start to see people take more chances and mm -hmm. you would start to see different styles and different territories really kind of come into their own. You knew that Southern wrestling had its own style. Um, certainly New York style had its own Japan, Canada, everybody kind of had their own styles. Those styles would, you know, kind of fuse together at times and really kind of take shape. So, and, and also, and also I think the 1980s was more character driven. Absolutely. So certainly like, in WWF. Yeah. Just like you talk about a movie being character driven. I think the fact that wrestling became more character driven, I think also makes things maybe more memorable or from a storytelling aspect allows it to be more memorable or deeper or just adds a dimension. Absolutely. And I'm anxious. I'm very anxious to see what our picks are going to be for the nineties uh, because the nineties was such a interesting decade in wrestling. There was a huge transition period, right? So 
I'm anxious to see what Leonard picks. And uh, I feel like our picks are going to be all over the map. But uh, tune in for that episode. Like I said, let us know what you think of our picks. If there's any we missed that you thought were glaring omissions, please let us know. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our stupid question videos and our random match reviews. And for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next time. And Alexa, we'll see you out.